Story 16 of Ellen Montgomery Short Stories from 1902 to 1903. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Lucy Maud Montgomery Short Stories, 1902 to 1903, by Lucy Maud Montgomery. The Old Chest at Wither Grange. When I was a child, I always thought a visit to Wither Grange was a great treat. It was a big, quiet, old-fashioned house where Grandmother Lawrence and Mrs. DeLiesel, my Aunt Winifred, lived. I was a favorite with them, yet I could never overcome a certain awe of them both. Grandmother was a tall, dignified old lady with keen black eyes that seemed veritably to bore through one. She always wore stiffly rustling gowns of rich silk made in the fashion of her youth. I suppose she must have changed her dress occasionally, but the impression of my mind was always the same as she went trailing about the house with a big bunch of keys at her belt, keys that opened a score of wonderful old chests and boxes and drawers. It was one of my dearest delights to attend Grandmother in her peregrinations, and watch the unfolding and examining of all those old treasures and heirlooms of bygone Lawrence's. Of Aunt Winifred I was less in awe, possibly because she dressed in a modern way, and so looked to my small eyes more human and natural. As Winifred Lawrence, she had been the beauty of the family, and was a handsome woman still, with brilliant dark eyes and cameo-like features. She always looked very sad, spoke in a low, sweet voice, and was my childish ideal of all that was high-bred and graceful. I had many beloved haunts at the Grange, but I liked the garret best. It was a roomy old place, big enough to have comfortably housed a family in itself, and was filled with cast-off furniture and old trunks and boxes of discarded finery. I was never tired of playing there, dressing up in the old-fashioned gowns and hats and practicing old-time dance steps before the high, cracked mirror that hung at one end. That old garret was a veritable fairyland to me. There was one old chest which I could not explore, and, like all forbidden things, it possessed a great attraction for me. It stood away back in a dusty, cobwebbed corner, a strong, high wooden box, painted blue. From some words which I had heard Grandmother let fall, I was sure it had a history. It was the one thing she never explored in her periodical overhaulings. When I grew tired of playing, I liked to creep up on it and sit there, picturing out my own fancies concerning it of which my favorite one was that some day I should solve the riddle and open the chest, find it full of gold and jewels, with which I might restore the fortune of the Lawrences and all the traditionary splendors of the old Grange. I was sitting there one day when Aunt Winifred and Grandmother Lawrence came up the narrow dark staircase, the latter jingling her keys and peering into the dusty corners as she came along the room. When they came to the old chest, Grandmother rapped the top smartly with her keys. "'I wonder what is in this old chest,' she said. "'I believe it really should be opened. "'The moths may have got into it through that crack in the lid.' "'Why don't you open it, mother?' said Mrs. DeLiesel. "'I am sure that key of Robert's would fit the lock.' "'No,' said Grandmother, in the tone that nobody, not even Aunt Winifred, ever dreamed of disputing. "'I will not open that chest without Eliza's permission. "'She confided it to my care when she went away, "'and I promised that it should never be opened until she came for it.' "'Poor Eliza,' said Mrs. DeLiesel thoughtfully. "'I wonder what she is like now. "'Very much changed, like the rest of us, I hope. "'It is almost thirty years since she was here. "'How pretty she was!' "'I never approved of her,' said Grandmother brusquely. 
She was a sentimental, fanciful creature. She might have married well, but she preferred to waste her life pining over the memory of a man who was not worthy to untie the shoelace of a Lawrence. Mrs. DeLiesel sighed softly and made no reply. People said that she had her own romance in her youth, and that her mother had sternly repressed it. I had heard that her marriage with Mr. DeLiesel was loveless on her part, and proved very unhappy. But he had been dead many years, and Aunt Winifred never spoke of him. "'I have made up my mind what to do,' said Grandmother decidedly. "'I will write to Eliza and ask her if I may open the chest to see if the moths have got into it. "'If she refuses, well and good. "'I have no doubt that she will refuse. "'She will cling to her old sentimental ideas as long as the breath is in her body.' "'I rather avoided the old chest after this. "'It took on a new significance in my eyes and seemed to me like the tomb of something, "'possibly some dead and buried romance of the past.' Later on, a letter came to Grandmother. She passed it over the table to Mrs. DeLiesel. "'That is from Eliza,' she said. "'I would know her writing anywhere. None of your modern, sprawly, untidy hands, but a fine lady-like script, as regular as copperplate. Read the letter, Winifred. I haven't my glasses, and I dare say Eliza's rhapsodies would tire me very much. You need not read them aloud. I can imagine them all. Let me know what she says about the chest.' Aunt Winifred opened and read the letter, and laid it down with a brief sigh. This is all she says about the chest. If it were not for one thing that is in it, I would ask you to open the chest and burn all of its contents. But I cannot bear that anyone but myself should see or touch that one thing. So please leave the chest as it is, dear aunt. It is no matter if the moths do get in. That is all, continued Mrs. DeLiesel, and I must confess that I am disappointed— I have always had an almost childish curiosity about that old chest, but I, I seem fated not to have it gratified. That one thing must be her wedding dress. I have always thought she locked it away there. Her answer is just what I expected of her, said Grandmother impatiently. Evidently the years have not made her more sensible. Well, I wash my hands of her belongings, moths or no moths. It was not until ten years afterwards— that I heard anything more of that old chest. Grandmother Lawrence had died, but Aunt Winifred still lived at the Grange. She was very lonely, and the winter after Grandmother's death she sent me an invitation to make her a long visit. When I revisited the garret and saw the old blue chest in the same dusty corner, my childish curiosity revived, and I begged Aunt Winifred to tell me its history. "'I am glad you have reminded me of it,' said Mrs. DeLiesel. "'I have intended to open the chest ever since Mother's death, but I kept putting it off.' "'You know, Amy, poor Eliza Lawrence died five years ago, "'but even then Mother would not have the chest opened. "'There is no reason why it should not be examined now. "'If you like, we will go and open it at once, "'and afterwards I will tell you the story.' "'We went eagerly up the garret stairs. "'Aunt knelt down before the old chest "'and selected a key from the bunch at her belt. "'Would it not be too provoking, Amy, "'if this key should not fit after all? "'Well, I do not believe you would be any more disappointed than I.' She turned the key and lifted the heavy lid. I bent forward eagerly. A layer of tissue paper revealed itself, with a fine tracing of sifted dust in its crinkles. "'Lift it up, child,' said my aunt gently. "'There are no ghosts for you, at least, in this old chest.' I lifted the paper up and saw that the chest was divided into two compartments. Lying on the top of one was a small, square, inlaid box. This Mrs. DeLiesel took up and carried to the window. Lifting up the cover, she laid it in my lap. There, Amy, 
Look through it and let us see what old treasures have lain hidden these forty years. The first thing I took out was a small square case covered with dark purple velvet. The tiny clasp was almost rusted away and yielded easily. I gave a little cry of admiration. Aunt Winifred bent over my shoulder. That is Eliza's portrait at the age of twenty, and that is Willis Starr's. Was she not lovely, Amy? Lovely indeed was the face looking out at me from its border of tarnished guilt. It was the face of a young girl, in shape a perfect oval, with delicate features and large dark blue eyes. Her hair, caught high on the crown and falling on her neck in the long curls of a bygone fashion, was a warm auburn, and the curves of her bare neck and shoulders were exquisite. The other picture is that of the man to whom she was betrothed. Tell me, Amy, do you think him handsome? I looked at the other portrait critically. It was that of a young man of about twenty-five. He was undeniably handsome, but there was something I did not like in his face, and I said so. Aunt Winifred made no reply. She was taking out the remaining contents of the box. There was a white silk fan with delicately carved ivory sticks, a packet of old letters, and a folded paper containing some dried and crumpled flowers. Aunt laid the box aside and unpacked the chest in silence. First came a ball dress of pale yellow satin brocade, made with a trained skirt, baby waist, and full puffed sleeves of a former generation. Beneath it was a case containing a necklace of small but perfect pearls and a pair of tiny satin slippers. The rest of the compartment was filled with household linen, fine and costly but yellowed with age, damask table linen and webs of the uncut fabric. In the second compartment lay a dress. Aunt Winifred lifted it out reverently. It was a gown of rich silk that had once been white, but now, like the linen, it was yellow with age. It was simply made and trimmed with cobwebby old lace. Wrapped around it was a long white bridal veil, redolent with some strange old-time perfume that had kept its sweetness all through the years. "'Well, Amy, this is all,' said Aunt Winifred, with a quiver in her voice. "'And now for the story. Where shall I begin?' "'At the very beginning, Auntie. You see, I know nothing at all except her name. Tell me who she was, and why she put her wedding dress away here.' "'Poor Eliza,' said Aunt dreamily. "'It is a sorrowful story, Amy, and it seems so long ago now. I must be an old woman. Forty years ago, and I was only twenty then. Eliza Lawrence was my cousin, the only daughter of Uncle Henry Lawrence. My father, your grandfather, Amy, you don't remember him, had two brothers, each of whom had an only daughter. Both of these girls were called Eliza after your great-grandmother.' I never saw Uncle George's Eliza but once. He was a rich man, and his daughter was much sought after. But she was no beauty, I promise you that, and proud and vain to the last degree. Her home was in a distant city, and she never came to Withergrange. The other Eliza Lawrence was a poor man's daughter. She and I were of the same age, and did not look unlike each other, although I was not so pretty by half. You can see by the portrait how beautiful she was, and it does her scant justice, for half her charm lay in her arch expression and her vivacious ways. She had her little faults, of course, and was rather overmuch given to romance and sentiment. This did not seem much of a defect to me then, Amy, for I was young and romantic too. Mother never cared much for Eliza, I think, but everyone else liked her. One winter Eliza came to Wither Grange for a long visit. The Grange was a very lively place then, Amy. Eliza kept the house ringing with merriment. 
We went out a great deal, and she was always the belle of any festivity we attended. Yet she wore her honors easily. All the flattery and homage she received did not turn her head. That winter we first met Willis Starr. He was a newcomer, and nobody knew much about him, but one or two of the best families took him up, and his own fascinations did the rest. He became what you would call the rage. He was considered very handsome. His manners were polished and easy, and people said that he was rich. I don't think, Amy, that I ever trusted Willis Starr. But like all the rest, I was blinded by his charm. Mother was almost the only one who did not worship at his shrine, and very often she dropped hints about penniless adventurers that made Eliza very indignant. From the first he had paid Eliza marked attention, and seemed utterly bewitched by her. Well, his was an easy winning. Eliza loved him with her whole, impulsive, girlish heart, and made no attempt to hide it. I shall never forget the night they were first engaged. It was Eliza's birthday, and we were invited to a ball that evening. This yellow gown is the very one she wore. I suppose that is why she put it away here. The gown she wore on the happiest night of her life. I had never seen her look more beautiful. Her neck and arms were bare, and she wore this string of pearls and carried a bouquet of her favorite white roses. When we reached home after the dance, Eliza had her happy secret to tell us. She was engaged to Willis Starr, and they were to be married in early spring. Willis Starr certainly seemed to be an ideal lover, and Eliza was so perfectly happy that she seemed to grow more beautiful and radiant every day. Well, Amy, the wedding day was set. Eliza was to be married from the Grange, as her own mother was dead, and I was to be bridesmaid. We made her wedding dress together, she and I. Girls were not above making their own gowns then, and not a stitch was set in Eliza's save those put there by loving fingers and blessed by loving wishes. It was I who draped the veil over her sunny curls. See how yellow increased it is now? But it was as white as snow that day. A week before the wedding, Willis Starr was spending the evening at the Grange. We were all chattering gaily about the coming event, and in speaking of the invited guests, Eliza said something about the other Eliza Lawrence, the great heiress, looking archly at Willis over her shoulder as she spoke. It was some merry badinage about the cousin whose namesake she was, but whom she so little resembled. We all laughed, but I shall never forget the look that came over Willis Starr's face. It passed quickly, but the chill fear that it gave me remained. A few minutes later I left the room on some trifling errand, and as I returned through the dim hall I was met by Willis Starr. He laid his hand on my arm and bent his evil face, for it was evil then, Amy, close to mine. "'Tell me,' he said in a low but rude tone, "'is there another Eliza Lawrence who is an heiress?' "'Certainly there is,' I said sharply. "'She is our cousin, and the daughter of our Uncle George.' Our Eliza is not an heiress. You surely did not suppose she was. Willis stepped aside with a mocking smile. I did? What wonder? I had heard much about the great heiress Eliza Lawrence, and the great beauty Eliza Lawrence. I suppose they were one and the same. You have all been careful not to undeceive me. You forget yourself, Mr. Starr, when you speak so to me, I retorted coldly. You have deceived yourself. We have never dreamed of allowing anyone to think that Eliza was an heiress. She is sweet and lovely enough to be loved for her own sake. I went back to the parlor full of dismay. Willis Starr remained gloomy and taciturn all the rest of the evening, but nobody seemed to notice it but myself.
The next day we were all so busy that I almost forgot the incident of the previous evening. We girls were up in the sewing-room putting the last touches to the wedding-gown. Eliza tried it and her veil on and was standing so, in all her silken splendor, when a letter was brought in. I guessed by her blush who was the writer. I laughed and ran downstairs, leaving her to read it. When I returned, she was still standing just where I had left her in the middle of the room, holding a letter in her hand. Her face was as white as her veil, and her wide open eyes had a dazed, agonized look as with someone who had been stricken a mortal blow. All the soft happiness and sweetness had gone out of them. They were the eyes of an old woman, Amy. "'Eliza, what is the matter?' I said. "'Has anything happened to Willis?' She made no answer, but walked to the fireplace, dropped the letter in a bed of writhing blue flame, and watched it burn to white ashes. Then she turned to me. "'Help me take off this gown, Winnie,' she said dully. "'I shall never wear it again. There will be no wedding. Willis is gone.' "'Gone!' I echoed stupidly. "'Yes. I am not the heiress, Winnie. It was the fortune, not the girl he loved. He says he is too poor for us to dream of marrying when I have nothing. Oh, such a cruel, heartless letter! Why did he not kill me? It would have been so much more merciful. I loved him so. I trusted him so. Oh, Winnie, Winnie, what am I to do?' There was something terrible in the contrast between her passionate words and her calm face and lifeless voice. I wanted to call Mother, but she would not let me. She went away to her own room, trailing along the dark hall in her dress and veil, and locked herself in. Well, I told it all to the others in some fashion. You can imagine their anger and dismay. Your father, Amy, he was a hot-blooded, impetuous young fellow then, went at once to seek Willistar. But he was gone. No one knew where, and the whole country rang with the gossip and scandal of the affair. Eliza knew nothing of this, for she was ill and unconscious for many a day. In a novel or story she would have died, I suppose, and that would have been the end of it. But this was in real life, and Eliza did not die, although many times we thought she would. When she did recover, how frightfully changed she was! It almost broke my heart to see her. Her very nature seemed to have changed, too. All her joyousness and light-heartedness were dead. From that time she was a faded, dispirited creature, no more like the Eliza we had known than the merest stranger. And then after a while came other news. Willis Starr was married to the other Eliza Lawrence, the true heiress. He had made no second mistake. We tried to keep it from Eliza, but she found it out at last. That was the day she came up here alone and packed this old chest. Nobody ever knew just what she put into it. But you and I see now, Amy. Her ball dress, her wedding gown, her love letters, and, more than all else, her youth and happiness. This old chest was the tomb of it all. Eliza Lawrence was really buried here. She went home soon after that. Before she went, she exacted a promise to Mother that the old chest should be left at the Grange unopened until she herself came for it. But she never came back and I do not think she ever intended to, and I never saw her again. That is the story of the old chest. It was all over so long ago, the heartbreak and the misery, but it all seems to come back to me now. Poor Eliza. My own eyes were full of tears as Aunt Winifred went down the stairs, leaving me sitting dreamily there in the sunset light, with the old yellowed bridal veil across my lap, and the portrait of Eliza Lawrence in my hand. 
Around me were the relics of her pitiful story, the old, oft-repeated story of a faithless love and a woman's broken heart. The gown she had worn, the slippers in which she had danced light-heartedly at her betrothal ball, her fans, her pearls, her gloves. And it somehow seemed to me as if I were living in those old years myself, as if the love and happiness, the betrayal and pain, were part of my own life. Presently Aunt Winifred came back through the twilight shadows. "'Let us put all these things back in their grave, Amy,' she said. "'They are of no use to anyone now. "'The linen might be bleached and used, I dare say, "'but it would seem like a sacrilege. "'It was Mother's wedding present to Eliza. "'And the pearls? "'Would you care to have them, Amy?' "'Oh, no, no,' I said with a little shiver. "'I would never wear them, Aunt Winifred. "'I should feel like a ghost if I did. "'Put everything back just as we found it. "'Only her portrait.' I would like to keep that. Reverently we put gowns and letters and trinkets back into the old blue chest. Aunt Winifred closed the lid and turned the key softly. She bowed her head over it for a minute, and then we went together in silence down the shadowy garret stairs of Withergrange. End of the Old Chest at Withergrange